that's a very significant, I believe, um, as we begin today. And um, I wanted to set this up. This felt like the Holy Spirit. So I want you to go to Isaiah 6, which really picks up a little bit from where we were at last week and start there. And so um, I'm going to read Isaiah 6 and then just ask the Holy Spirit to give us understanding and to, to why he may be leading us into that passage today. Isaiah chapter 6, um, starting verse 1. It was the year that King Uzziah died. Isaiah sees the Lord sitting upon a throne. Let me just say this as a quick commentation. I think many of us have probably passed over really fast when we read Isaiah 6-1 because we're going to jump into Isaiah's commission. Um, we might run real fast over it. It was the year that King Uzziah died. And one of the things to just take note of is King Uzziah was, uh, he was the southern king. He had uh, been on the throne since he was 16 years of age. And he had been governing maybe, I don't know this exactly, but maybe longer than any other king had governed in the southern kingdom. Uh, for the most part, King Uzziah was a godly man. And his reforms and his work within the kingdom were maybe some of the best uh, that have been since his forebears. And so there's a lot of good things to say about Uzziah. Right off the bat, Isaiah, in referencing this, may have been going through a tremendous amount of grief. When you have a effective leader in a nation that is governed for a long time in a very righteous way, and then that leader, as y'all, many of you probably know, Uzziah was struck with leprosy because he had went into the temple to burn incense before the Lord, which it was said that he was not allowed to do so. And so um, it is certainly something that needs to be communicated about that. Maybe we can get into that a little bit today uh, in relation to Hebrews 7. You have to understand that this, let us not just quickly go over uh, this passage. Again, the hope that a national leader of this caliber would bring about and continue to reform and bring change within the nation was very much on the heart and mind of the people. And uh, sometimes when we get under good leadership, and uh, if, you, if you're a parent, or even if you're not, but you can notice how that we can become very complacent sometime, sometimes when uh, things are going good uh, and things are going the way we would like them to. And then in this case, um, here, again, this godly man, this godly reformer, this godly king, is uh again been struck with leprosy and he's he's a dead man and so you see um an attribute of god you know later on it, it's probably a little bit of a play on words but you see this earlier on when yuza will go to steady the ark that's being brought in on an ark or on an ox cart instead of being carried properly by the priest God's going to strike Yuza in the Ark of the Covenant, the glory of the Lord, where the very presence of Yahweh, he's going to steady it, thinking he's doing what's right, and the Lord's going to strike him dead. 
And David, you know, becomes very angry with the Lord. And he wants to stop his reform of bringing God's power and presence into the nation. And I believe the ark is placed in a resting place. Was it Obed-Edom? Is that right? Yeah. Or is it pla- it's placed somewhere? Uh, Obed-Edom. Is Obed-Edom for a few months while David basically, he has to go and discover what the law of Moses says, uh, that this, this ark was to be carried by the priest. I think that what we discover with Uzziah and with Uzzah is that the Lord has a very particular way in which he comes in and among a people. And if not handled in the right way, there is death that ensues uh, in both these cases, even with men who are looking and believing they're doing God a service. And so I think any of us, I don't know if you would feel this way. I do. It's like, God, who could bring your, who could? I mean, uh, the best attempts of men, we would botch this thing up in five seconds. If a good man like Uzziah will make a decision and override, or if Uzziah will think he's doing you a service, and even David, how can we ever get you involved with us? And I believe that that, that it, it all harkens to Jesus. It all goes to him because he becomes the only way. He becomes the mediator. He becomes the, he comes to stand in our stead between God and ourselves and his blood. It's our only path. Um, and I, I believe, uh, I said to Kara, I think it was this morning that uh, there has to be a consummate pledging of loyalty to royalty. And when I say that, I mean that Jesus is the king and he is the high priest of our confession. There can't, man will always fall short without him. And I think I would probably get a hearty amen out of everyone. But the reality of him being everything to us is also something that he has to do for us. We, it's something you can't do for yourself. I can't do it for myself. That's why anything that's movemental in the way of the Lord bringing about a something like a second exodus of what we're talking about is that only God himself would be able to move on the hearts of men and purify the heart of men and prepare man for his own self to even come hang out. Even we could not even prepare our hearts. I remember years ago, it was probably six months after Karen and I got in the mountain. Uh, once I found out that the Lord wanted to come and dwell with man, and he wanted to union himself with us and incarnate his full life in us. She was upstairs with, I believe, Elizabeth. I was I was down on the floor. I was down on my knees. I was like, Lord, come now. Come now. Like, don't stick me with a fork and kill this old man. Go ahead and slip my throat and uh, let's kill the old man now. And uh, and I remember, yeah, it's like, let's just get this, uh, yeah, the fatty calf dealt with now. <laughs> you know, I remember the Lord saying, if I was to come to you, like you've asked me to kill you, uh, I would, I, my, literally my glory would kill you. There's so much sin in your life and so much iniquity inside of you that 
that uh, you're born into, it's going to be a process on this. It's going to be a process of undoing, a process of, of dealing with the idolatry and the adultery of your heart. And I remember being just like, no, man, let's get this thing over with. And I think that that's the right thing to say. Let's get it over with. But there he started the first year. He started with the uh, the stubble. He, it was going to take a while to get to any kind of uh, dealing with silver or gold or precious stones, um, even up into this day. Uh, the point being that all the works of men that would want to see God do something great, all even those, we've turned those in almost into our own golden calves and made idols out of the very moves of God and God. We've made an idol out of even the, what we know about him. We create idols out of revelation. We create idols out of our own situation, our own experience. And this God who uh, loves us so much, he sees all that. He sees how we monetize for his gospel. We monetize ourselves. We monetize others. He sees, he sees how we are so quick to want to go build something for him. And uh, he's like, well, not exactly, you know. And that we've built so many forms in the church. And, and even at this status, and this is what I'm trying to get at, even all the way up to Pete Lineker is talking about this yesterday, Magna Carta, even all the way up to can we get reform that will bless the people that would liberate the people so kingship and divine right could work, even in, even in the structure of that, even in that, there's this contention Uh there's something's just still off. And I think Isaiah is just mourning, honestly. If a king of Uzziah's caliber isn't going to do it for us, if he's going to be struck when he touches something he's not allowed to, when it, he reaches out and really into what we call the order of Melchizedek, the blending of the offices, and it's going to strike his own body with leprosy. I mean, it might make everybody feel sort of forlorn. But instead of being forlorn, instead of, God, there's no way we're going to be able to get this done. That maybe we would turn, even in our vacancy and our realization that all of what we can bring to the table as much as we could, our life, our ministries, our whole call, everything, in some ways is still insufficient to bring about the glory of God. And in some way that we would turn and now see. And this is what Isaiah does. It says, Uzziah died and I saw. I saw. It reminds me of Job 42.5. Um, Job said, I heard of you, uh, but now my eyes see you. I abhor myself. I repent in dust and ashes. I began to see. And then I, I began to see you, Lord. When the offices when we begin to see him, 
take take a minute right there. Who is sufficient for these things? If the Lord was to mark iniquity, who could stand? There's not one human being out of seven and a half plus billion people on the earth right now that could stand if God was to mark iniquity. Who could stand? There's only one man. And right now he's seated at the right hand of the Father. All, all of the kingship ability within man and all the priesthood, the, both the male and the female component, that only the Lord himself could bring about something as miraculous as about what he is about to do on the earth through this end time remnant. Only the Lord. And so he says, I saw the Lord. Where did he see him? He saw him sitting upon a throne. Yeah, Psalms 110.1. And the Lord said to my Lord, sit. Until your enemies are made your footstool. And so, well, who is my enemy? Well, for many of us, it's usually in four areas. It's our, it's our provision. It's our direction. It's our protection. And it's our right judgment. And the Lord would say, sit until everything that is going on in your life and look at me. Just look at me. Uh, someone just sent this to me that Isaiah was the cousin of King Uzziah. And it, so it suggests that Isaiah was a man of high rank himself. Let's think that even within family lines or there might even be within the natural bloodline something of divine right. That he was of a he was a person of a of, of already great let's say a bloodline even within the family line, and even with that, even with his bloodline connection to Uzziah, uh, that the only solution here was there's death taking place, and I saw. I believe that all prophetic revelation. I believe that all connection with Jesus, it seems like to me, and I, I don't know if this is the way it is for all of you, but it seems like it always falls on the tail end of something that seemed to die, a vacancy, a, uh, uh, a sense of aloneness, a sense of um, a vacuous space. And because I do believe that when God made man and woman, he made us in that place to long for him. And he's saying, like, when you feel that feeling, well, all my hopes have been blasted. I don't know where I'm going to get that. I don't know how to make, I don't know. I'm at the end of my vision. I'm at the end of whatever I am. I've, I've, uh, I was telling Carrie this morning, I said, I feel like I've expressed everything a man could express to, uh, to anybody. I'm at the end of everything I could possibly conceive of. To what end can man do things? I mean, we've, explored the oceans we've explored the heights of the heavens and space we've done so much our technology is so amazing we've done so much and then at, at the same time you i think 
if you're honest with yourself, and I think many of you are experiencing this right now, especially with snow, maybe quarantine, maybe things we've been going through, running you up against, nothing satisfied me. Again, I saw the Lord. He was seated on a throne. He's high and lifted up. And his train of his robe is filling the temple. You get this picture of royalty. No denigration of this man. His, he's enthroned. He's, he's not biting his fingernails. He's not scratching his head. He's not like, I don't know what to do. He's not doing any of that. He's seated in glory. He's, you, know, you know, when we worship him, you can tell that. You come up to him and you're, your whole soul just rests because you're satisfied in the Lord. He's got it all, man. He's got it all figured out. And you're like, okay, Lord, I want to pick up your narrative. I, I, above him stood the seraphim, six wings with two. He covered his face, two. He covered his feet, and two. He flew. And they're, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. They see glory. They don't see problems. They see glory. They see bright light. They see, they see beauty. They see the realm of, of the brightness of the glory of God. They don't see uh, Fox News and CNN. They don't see what the left and the right are saying. They don't, they don't see any of that. They see the glory of the Lord. They see that the heavens are declaring the glory of the Lord. Uh, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The foundations of the earth are his. What we see is what he sees. And we begin to move out of the concept of our own minds, our thoughts. Our, we move out of the law. We move out of this. We move into him. The law being a schoolmaster brings us to Christ. We begin to behold the beauty of the glory of the Lord to magnify him. Jonathan Edwards talked about this in his awakening. He said he would go out into the fields. He'd see the flowers and he's like, it was like they became brighter. He would be going through the fields or something and he'd fall out on the ground, like worshiping the Lord. There's problems going all around Edwards and the nation uh, back then. I mean, there was all kinds. It was like he was swept up into the presence of the Lord, David Brainerd. He, he had tuberculosis and bloods pouring out of his nose. They said that he was so hot from fever that when he was in that little shack praying for the Indians, the snow would melt all around him and blood would splatter out onto the white snow. But Brainerd was so immersed into the presence of the Lord. They said when he would preach, he'd preach through a drunken interpreter. And the Indians would flail around on the ground converting. Why? Because that man, his concentration wasn't on his physical issue, his financial issue, his, uh, his directed issue. He was immersed in the glory of the mm -hmm. Lord. And uh, we, a lot of times we, like, we leave the worship and we return back to life. I believe all my heart. God just wants us in perpetual beholding him. Uh, him beholding himself through us, in us, 
living his life out of us. Now we begin to have heaven as our narrative. We're living in that realm. Nothing is, nothing, 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 nothing is vying for our attention anymore. Nothing is taking us off. You can't live like that. Yes, you can. Jesus did. Jesus lived like that every single day that he was here on this earth. He lived right before the face of his father. He spoke truth in the public square. He was completely immersed in God and him were one. He wasn't driven by the things that have so immersed in us. And so sometimes God removes, like he did with Isaiah, what we placed our hope in. Sometimes he allows the thing we placed our hope in the most to be taken away from us, expose the human heart so that he can give us himself. Mm. And uh, and then we, we begin to really worship him. And he said, so the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, you know, woe is me. I am lost. That's an interesting thing for a senior level prophet to be saying. I mean, we say that to unbelievers. That unbelievers, you're lost, you need to be born again. Right? Take a guy who's in the throne room saying he's lost. I think that what he's saying is I'm spatially disoriented. <laughs> I don't know which way's up, right, backwards, forwards. Uh, I am completely spatially disoriented. Um, when I was in, when I flew aircraft, we um, we we had to learn to fly instruments if you're going to be an instrument rated pilot. And uh, first of all, they start you out with visual flight rules, and you learn to fly by something called dead reckoning. And you you learn how to fly based off navigational things that are on the ground and you you look at them in your charts and stuff and you fly from that and then in the dead reckoning you can kind of figure out how long it's going to take you to get to the next place based off smoke coming out of chimneys and uh, different wind movements just natural phenomenon but when you get upgraded in aviation you you have to go into something called instrument rating you have to learn to fly off of uh, just your instruments and you can't see and it's a, it's, it can be very disorienting because sometimes when you're looking at the horizon, you can't tell which way's up or down, and it's very dangerous. If you don't trust your instruments, you can put a plane in the ground easily. And then we have all kinds of aids that help with that. Like we have TFIR, which is trained following identification uh, radar, and you know other aids that buzzers that'll go off and tell you you're going to crash, you're going to put it in the ground. But uh, instrument, instrument rating or flying out of the heavens without being able to see the earth is it takes a whole new set of rules. The, uh, the rule book on instrument flying is way more extensive than the rule book on um, visual flying. There's more laws to navigate with. And so when you begin to navigate with heaven and you begin to ascend up into a relationship with the Lord, one thing is there's a loss of oxygen. There's a difference in the molecular structure of the uh, environment around you, the nitrogen and oxygen. And so uh, if you ascend, you have to be able to put on 
oxygen mask at certain elevations. And there's all these rules for that. Otherwise, uh, you'll get, I believe it's hypoxia. And I mean, it'll knock you out. You'll, you'll be unconscious and you could die like that. Well, it's similar as you begin to ascend with the Lord. There's new aspects that are governing the heavens that are having to be reintegrated into your body so that you can actually ascend higher. And there can be a feeling when you're going up in the Lord that you're kind of uh, lost. I can't tell you how many times of all the sets that Stephen and I have been doing on the platform, how many times every Sunday, you know, we enter in, we'll get into the presence with everybody. And then next thing you know, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm as lost as a goose. I don't know where to fly. I don't know where to take this thing. I don't know what I'm doing. And all of a sudden, what you have to do is your soul has to navigate itself to him. You begin to say, Lord, I, I don't know how to take care of this. I don't know what to do. And the Lord said, look at me, you know, look at me, uh, look at me. And then all of a sudden, this there will be a trans uh, action that happens as you begin to behold him. You lock on like a tractor beam onto the Lord. It's a light. And you lock up that light. And you, oh man, oh man, here we go. And then all of a sudden you begin to ascend. And, and you begin to uh, really navigate. We, we will be worshiping the Lord and we rise, 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 rise. And many times you hear me like shout, shout and holler and yell. And sometimes I almost thought I was going to pass out like loss of oxygen. Like I can't take it. Like coming up, 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 up into a new vision there he is on the circle of the earth there's the throne seated in glory there he is he's like welcome to the platform of light i'm like what are you talking about stand on the platform of light and navigate into the heavens with me it's like everything gets put underneath your feet in that moment he's experiencing this whoa 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 maybe whoa like that you know we always think Whoa, I'm lost. Okay. Whoa. You ever been in, with someone who drives really fast? <laughs> Henry, this harkens back to some of our special times. <laughs> but you ever been with someone who's just kind of a wild, a wild person in a vehicle? And then you're over there kicking your brakes, and then, but they just don't seem to back off. And they, they seem to have different rules in their mind than you do about uh, taking curves and when they're supposed to hit their brake or whatever and you're just like whoa <laughs> that's what isaiah is saying he's saying whoa 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 i feel out of control and we would think that god wouldn't want us to feel that way oh yeah he would so you're sort of like i've lost my spatial orientation now this is dangerous lord i don't know which way's up I don't know which way's down now. I don't know which way's backwards. I don't know which way's forward. And he says, um, he says, all right, I don't, I don't know how to put this on the ground. And I'm feeling unclean. I feel unclean. Now, I can tell you this in aviation. You want to have clean wings. Because if your wings are filled with ice, and there's all different kinds of frost and different kinds of icing levels. But if you ice up your wings, uh, it'll throw you right out of the air. And so you want to be clean. We, we call it the wings are clean. 
Why? Because the air can flow over the surface and create lift. And the drag coefficient, everything works out just right. Otherwise, you'll stall the wings. You'll come flying out of the air uh, in a flat spin. And if you don't recover, it's over. And so there's this climbing, whoa, slow down. I'm lost. I'm spatially disoriented. I, I don't know what's going on in my life right now. <laughs> I don't know how to make sense upside down, backwards, forwards. Uh, something just happened. Somebody died. Something happened. I feel a death. I feel a vacancy. I feel a void. And the Lord's like, come up. Now you're climbing. And we need to interpret these moments as not that moment that has been the hardest thing of our life. It's, the, it's your invitation to the throne. When you feel vacancy, when you feel the void, when you feel it closing in on you, that's your invitation. That's not the moment where you start pointing fingers. Well, it's my fault again because I messed up. Oh, it's their fault because they messed up. No, I'm amazing. No, they're amazing. No, right now, the vacancy, the void, the feeling of that is, what is going on? God's doing a cleaning operation. I want to clean your wings. I got to, I'm going to smooth you out. I'm going to, I'm creating something here with you. I'm doing something with you. And yeah, I, I recognize the uncleanliness all around me. Yes, I recognize it. Okay, but my eyes are looking at you for I've seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So there's not a denial of truth, ladies and gentlemen. We don't deny truth. Uh, you can't do that. And so there's a recognition of the truth here. But we don't hang out there as, I think, in a restrictive way to cast fault and to uh, retain, retain other sins or retain our own. This is where you're going to say to the Lord, Lord, you have me. I'm yours. I want you and you want me and I love you. And the Lord does this cleaning operation. Um, in your ascension, as you're going up into the midst of the king. This is when the blue and the red begins to sort of peel off. And the illegitimacy of the blue and the illegitimacy of the red, and now the legitimacy of righteousness in the red and the legitimacy of being known, the discovery of who you are in the blue become one. And now uh, you realize I'm, a I'm part of a royal family. The partiness of the left and the right, the right of my own stuff, the left of everybody else's stuff begins to bleed off. And now there he is. There he is, the king. And it's at this point that all commission uh, comes forth. Now, I would like to suggest that I believe that there's a call, there's a commissioning, and there's a crowning that happens with God's people. And so... Isaiah has been being prepared by the Lord for a season of his life to be brought up into the throne. You see this in, in Revelation 4 with John. Is it, Behold, I saw a door in the heavens, right? It's an invitation. And he says, come up here. And he's going to give him the revelation of himself is going to be brought out. And there's an invitation right now with all of us, and this is what you're going through, as this end time remnant. For the Lord is saying, come up here and let me show you things. Let me reveal. So in this ascension that you and I are going through, there's a constant coming up with this process. Again, 
a vacancy, something's died, something's hurt, there's a void. Number two, there's a sense of, whoa, I feel out of control, I'm, I'm lost, I'm spatially disoriented, okay? There's a cleanliness that's happening. I'm going to clean up your left-based mindset. This is the communitarian left. I'm going to clean up the right, the individual aspect of your soul. And then you're going to come into this revelation of who he is. He's the king. He's in charge. And that's going to communicate back to you, back into your soul. But there does come a time, and I was mentioning this last week with Meredith Klein, that the probationary period that God brings his people through in the locus of Eden land, what we've been going through, there does come a time when the Lord says probation is over. And I believe that's what he was saying to Isaiah here. And I believe that that's what he's doing with many of the remnant family right now. He's saying there comes a moment when you've ascended and you've ascended and you've ascended and you've become more and more clean. You become more and more like me and more and more like me that I'm going to bring you out of probation into conferral, then confirmation, and then consummation. And as you know, I've laid this out in the atomic series that we've been in. Why atomic? I found this out a couple weeks ago because the Lord is wanting to deal with things on an atomic or subatomic level inside the human soul. He's getting down to the idiosyncrasies. He's getting down to the base issues of iniquity. He wants to basically restore us fully to look like him. He's not wanting to take your personality away. He's not wanting to take your ministry callings away. He's not wanting to do any of that. He's not wanting to take your your gender away from you. He's, he's not doing that. He's, he's wanting to uh, restore you to himself so that he can literally interact with you without inhibition. Uh, the Lord doesn't like these long processes where we're, we're up and then we're down and then we're up and then we're down. And then, you know, we got these long experiences of, of uh, complacency uh, back into idolatry. Then the pain comes on us so strong that we have to enter back and hang out with him. He wants to dwell with us and have full communion with us all the time. Uh, I've been a dad for approximately 17 years. And I'll tell you, the thing I prize the most is not sibling rivalry. <laughs> It is not, you know, the angst between my children and me. I do not prize that. I, I do not like the corrections and the discipline. And I just want to hang out with my babies and let's do things together and let's be at peace and they're at peace with one another. I don't like all that. I got to tell you, uh, I don't like when we sit at the supper table. Don't climb across the table. Uh, pass the salt. Don't reach for it. Um, stop that. You know, I don't like any of that. I want my children to sit there. I want them to all pleasantly, let's communicate to each other. I want the napkins to be in the right place, the silverware to be in the right place. I don't want them to spill their drinks on top of each other. I don't want one of them to say they, they're mean, they slap me, and that one slapped me. And Yeah, I take note of pleasure in that as a daddy. And then my wife will look at me and say, what are you going to do about this? You know, <laughs> and uh, me and say, what are you going to do about this? You know, I, I don't want to do that. Well, I don't believe our father likes that. Oh, well, you know, here's, they just beat up the other one and said that about that one and <laughs> threw their food stuff down on the floor and won't sweep, you know. I think he's like, you know what? I want this thing to run with full freedom and full order. 
Amen. I want there to be freedom of joy and gladness and communication relationship. And in the exact same moment, everything's where it needs to be. I believe that's the nature of our father. And I believe that he wants that with us. We don't want to get up close to us and we're like, get away from me. Hurt my feelings again because I got corrected. He's like, no, I'm trying to heal you. I love you. I want to hang out with you. I want to have friendship with you. I really like you a lot. You have no idea. But every time I come near to you, it makes you upset with me because I'm exposing that which is not like me. So I run the risk of hanging out with you. I think the Lord's like, man, I'd really like to get this over with. I'd really like to dwell with you. I'd really like uh, to rest with you. I really want to hang out with you. And in that way, when you begin to look like me, and as this term is called plenipotentate or plenipotentary, I don't know how many of y'all have ever heard that term before, but in plenipotentary, basically the idea is, is that person is a diplomat. Make sure you turn your phone on, on mute. But in a, plenty, a plenipotentate, what they do is they so know the nature of the nation that sent them that the person who sends them was from uh, their nation, that sends them to another nation, they don't even have to spell out the terms and tell them what they want to deliver to the other nation. They so trust them that they say, you go to that nation over there and I trust whatever you do would look exactly what I would do. I don't need to outline a whole outline for you to do because I fully trust you, that you will do exactly what's on my heart, even if I never even told you what it was. Yeah. Now, that is, that's plenty potentate. And I believe that when God gives a commission, it's because you look so much like him that he can trust you mm. because he's so living his life in you mm. that whatever you do would be exactly what he's doing through you because all you're doing is what you see your father doing. This is what I believe that this the commission that Isaiah is receiving. He said, verse eight, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who's going to be my plenty potentate? Who's going to go for us? I believe looking at the three person Godhead. And then I said, this is speaking Isaiah. Here I am. Send me. Isaiah finally found out where he was. <laughs> Here. Right, he's in the throne room. He's living from heaven here. The first word asked to uh, Adam after his sin was, where are you? He says, here I am. And I want you to listen to um, where we've been at in Hebrews 10. Listen to um, Hebrews 10 for a minute. When Christ came into the world, this is Hebrews 10, 5. He said, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired. You've heard me preach this. So what? But a body you prepared for me. In burnt offering and sin offering, you take in no pleasure, or another translation say you take no delight in. Then I said, Behold, I have come. Another translation I believe says, Here I am. I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Why is this important? The postmodern mindset today, which was a reaction to modernism, I'll explain a little bit of this. 
says, the postmodern mind says, let no one else have a meta-narrative of my life. What does that mean? No one can impose their narrative onto me. I will not be imposed upon with someone else's idea about me. Therefore, I'm going to live out my own narrative the way I see fit. But I would suggest to you that that was a reaction against modernism, and modernism was equivocating everything into quantitative value systems. And so what happened was people reacted against, basically they don't realize this today, all of this quantification of scientific principles, they're reacting against that because we were using that back in, in the modern culture, we were using that to make our money and build our empires and we knew something was wrong with that because we were losing relationship with our fathers and that and so out of that came postmodernism and postmodern people said forget that uh quantitative way i'm going all quality but and relational however you still will not put a meta narrative over my life this is so culturally engaged in our culture today like never before it right a stiff neck and here's the thing, though, what Jesus says and what Isaiah says, though, however, is different. He said, I've come here. I am to do your will, O God. And then he says, that is written about me in the scroll of your book. So here I am in this space, in this place here, right before you, Lord. And there is a meta narrative that has been written. You are the author and the finisher of my life, and I don't want my own narrative anymore. I'm going to throw out my narrative, and I don't want someone else yet to impose a narrative on me, okay? But I do want your narrative. I want to, yeah, I want to be uh, Hebrew as Dabakut. I want to be so union with you, Lord. That in that union, I literally am living and moving and have my being in you. Your narrative now is my narrative, and I'm not resisting it anymore, no matter where it takes or leads me. And I'm not going to be afraid anymore, no matter where it takes, no matter how it guides me. I want your narrative, Father. I have come. The purpose of my life is here I am to do your will. Well, we were at the YMI, and Rafi Assad said, it's YMI. And I said, yeah, that's right. Why am I? And the, uh, the word here tells us, why am I? So that finally I would get to this point. Here I am. Why? To do your will. Now I'm not living my life for my own anymore. I've been bought with a price. I'm not living that way. So I'm waiting on you to do your will. He said, well, I'm not interested in your so, your sacrifice, and your offerings. I want you. I want your whole body. I don't want your volunteerism. Uh, so that you can sort of stay independent from me. Volunteers are still independent in some sense. People who provide offerings are still independent. I'd give out all kinds of offering, didn't realize I was trying to give as much away as I could so I could still be independent from the Father. You can, you can still be independent in your volunteerism and your giving. And the Lord said, that's not what I want. I want your whole body. And if we were really truthful uh, to ourselves, we've always wanted to be desired and delighted in. There's not one of us 
that didn't want to be seen and known for who we really are. And there's one who knows us. Well, uh, the why am I has to happen, so I am why can happen. I am why and I am here. And so you see that he says, I am here, I am. Send me. And he said, go. Say to this people. Well, he says, uh, you keep on hearing, but you don't understand. You keep on seeing, but you're not really perceiving what. I think that Isaiah now is living from another place, which we would call the kingdom of heaven. He's living from the narrative and the life of God out of the throne room. And now he's commissioned by God to go and say, you keep hearing something, but you don't really get it. And you keep on seeing, but you're not really perceiving. I remember uh, Janie McManus one Sunday, she missed us at the Why Am I? And I was like, what is Janie McManus? You know, and uh, I, I was missing her because I love her worship and I hear her voice. And I was like, where is she at? And I thought, well, I respect that. You know, I mean, uh, maybe she doesn't feel good or maybe she has something else. And I, I came uh, back to the house that day and Janie said, I, I couldn't do it. The words, the word, I, the word said um, something to affect, uh, you're listening, but you're not hearing. You're taking all this in, but you're not taking time with it. I want you to rest in me and just wait on me and let this, let this just get into you. And uh, she became purposeful. Well, to the people that are like, I'm going to show up every Sunday and I'm going to do everything. I'm going to click my box. Well, that might be offensive to them. But for her, it was a rev- it was a revelation. It was a revolution, and, and it was a relationship. It was a it was a restoration of her soul. And she didn't have to click a box necessarily. The Lord is seeking her to know her. See, we can't go on just hearing and not say, and not get understanding, or keep on seeing, but we're really not perceiving correctly. Jesus said in Matthew 24, my mother brought this up this week. Carol, do you see how many times it says, be not deceived? Why would the Lord say that so many times? <laughs> Folks, the bride of Christ, the sons and daughters of God, if Jesus is saying that, he's saying it for a reason. And I'll tell you this just as a person, that I have noticed just as a person that if I'm not intentional to go worship him, and I don't mean just wrote reading my Bible. I don't mean like, okay, I'm going to go ask Jesus for 18 different things today. I don't mean like that. Now you got to hear me out. I mean that I just intentionally set my heart to be warm by the fire of his spirit and in his presence. If I'm not intentional about that, I have no clue what's going on. And in some way there's deception because I cannot navigate or understand what is going on at all. Uh, I felt it today. I, I, I knew, you know, enter into worship. I don't know what to say to y'all. I don't know what to do. I have no clue what to do. And none of us do. If you go long periods of time like that, you can be completely deceived. What is Isaiah saying to them? You've heard a lot, but you're not understanding now, everybody said, yeah, I know who those people are. 
I know exactly who that is, the one that doesn't understand. If you think that way, you're already deceived. The better thing to say is, is here I am. I may not understand. And to be intentional about this, Proverbs 25, 2. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of a royal, a king, to search it out. It's going to take intentionality. My wife likes it when I'm intentionally pursue her. If I just walk past her every day and I don't, how are you doing? She'd never tell me, probably. I'm like, you got to tell me sometimes. I can't read your mind. I don't want to tell you. You know, I want you to know without me saying anything. I was like, I know something's off. She said, if it's like that, you went way too far. <laughs> you went way down the road. Wait, you blew past so many stops of my heart. You've totally abandoned me in a way. And uh, I think the Lord would be saying the same thing. When did you turn aside to see? Um, when did you look at me? When did you come away? And he's saying, listen, don't just keep on hearing this message. Think you understand. Go ahead and say, I probably don't. And keep on seeing, but I perceive. You know, interestingly enough, in the servant songs, the one who's leading this end time move or the servant of the Lord, he says, he's who's more blind and deaf than he is? My servant. I mean, he's not talking about Jesus. And if that's the guy that's got leadership, then what does that condition mean for everybody else? I mean, the fact of the matter, if Job can be a righteous man and God causing that, and he said, I heard of you, now my eyes see you and now I repent. I mean, there has to be a reason why a man of that caliber who God calls himself righteous is struggling with seeing that maybe we are too. Uh, I would say we are. And he said, make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. And they're turned and be healed. What kind of ministry is that? <laughs> like, it's interesting that the Lord would throw out all the objections, bring up all the objections to himself and not even make it easy. I want to tell you something about the Lord. And this is offensive. We don't want to think of him like this. Everybody wants to think of poor Jesus. Like if we could just get somebody to believe him. I'm going to tell you, the Jesus I've got to know would say, you're going to go away too? He would make it hard before he'd make it easy. Mm -hmm. He would speak parabolically and cause you to pursue him before he would just give you all the information away. He, he's like that because he wants to be pursued. He wants you to come hang out with him, but he's not going to pander for you, work angles to get you to come pursue him. He won't do it. That's the feminine aspect of God. He will not do it. But if you will seek him, you will find him. If you'll pursue and if you'll say, I want you more than my own life, oh, he, he'll reveal himself to you. He said, Isaiah, this is verse 11. He says, how long, Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. Why? Why would he allow that? Why would he allow desolation? I'm going to just say this as a remnant because we've all been going through this. All of you that are remnant, 
have experienced desolation. You've experienced the land being uh, cities lying waste. You've experienced houses without people, no ability. You've experienced this. If you're remnant, which you're not listening to this more than likely if you're not, you've experienced this by the Lord's sovereign action in your life to draw you to himself. You've experienced some aspect of homelessness, forlornness. I don't know where we're going to get our resources from. I don't know how we're going to rebuild again. I don't know how I'm going to make it. Um, I've, some of you, many of us have lost houses and lands. It, anyways, all that cannot be the Lord's doing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's better for me to just go ahead and tell you. It's been the Lord's doing. <laughs> you know, um, some of us are a little bit quicker to volunteer for it. Oh. I'll go ahead and lose the land in the house. I'll be desolate. I'll go ahead and volunteer. <laughs> Some people are marked by that. Now, he says, um, <laughs> and uh, the Lord removes people far away. You've lost friends, relationships. You've been through trials. Uh, you've had, you've, some of you have been out of the church relationships. You've been kicked out. I've been kicked out of two of them myself. You know, you've been removed. What people, the sheep have been scattered. Many of you have been pastors, leaders. The sheep have been scattered. You've been in forsaken places that just look desolate. Dirt everywhere, mud, trees cut down. No life necessarily, little life, but hardly any life. And listen to this, listen to this. And though a tenth remain in it. So let's say the Lord's pared down the remnant to a tenth. Haggai calls it a residue. <laughs> he calls the remnant a residue. I think that's the, okay. It's funny when you're on the other side. Of it. <laughs> when you accept that you're a residue, you're not even a remnant. We're the residue of the remnant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The remnant is special. <laughs> um, and he says, listen to this. He said, I'm going to take the residue and I'm going to burn them again. I'm going to take the tenth that remains. Amen. This is us. I speak. I believe this. We got. I'm going to burn you again. Kara has this amazing story. Maybe one day she'll share it with you. But because you're so special to me. Oh. You're so special to me. You're so special that. Even some of the furnace that silver and I might be able to purify with silver and gold, it can't even bring you to this level. I'm going to do something so remarkable. Listen to Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion. Uh, Lord, you're meanest to your closest friends. <laughs> I mean, why would the Lord strike the shepherd? Why would he strike the one that's his closest companion? I mean, you're my friend. I mean, I'm going to smack you down. I mean, we don't. I thought this would go off real well at a church planning conference. We have a whole new church planning conference. Um, awake cold sword against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion. Every leader had run right out of there. Strike, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies says this, strike the shepherd. How in the world are you going to raise up the end time move? How are you going to raise up anything to your glory where you strike the ones who are closest to you? 
They'll turn and run. They'll go tuck their tail. They will be so forewarned. They won't know what to do with themselves. And the sheep will be scattered. And then I'll turn my hand against the little ones. You know, that seems like the very opposite. It seems like the very opposite way that God would raise up something to his glory. But listen to what he says. And it will come to pass in the land, says the Lord, that two thirds in it shall be cut off and die. Now, I know that this speaks on a multiple different levels. I'm not introducing all of them. I'm introducing this in our context. Okay, so please bear with me in that. Um, two thirds of it will be cut off and die because you're going to see this ultimately unfold on a big macro narrative here it's coming in the seven years that'll lead up to the 70th week this is going to happen or the 70th week is called the time of jacob's trouble on a big macro way with israel but right now the lord's been doing this with his uh, people israel throughout the whole earth the remnant who he's going to gather from the four corners of the earth here in this last end time second exodus that two-thirds will be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left. And I'm going to bring that one-third through the fire. And I'll refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They'll call on my name and I'll answer them and I'll say, this is my people. And each one will say, the Lord is my God. Now, one-third is 33%. 33% of the whole, which would be God's people. Two-thirds cut off, one-third left. But here in Isaiah, ladies and gentlemen, he says, I'm going to bring it down to a tenth. And this is what I mean about residue. I'm going to take out of the 33rd, I'm going to bring us down to a tenth. And even more precision than, than I'm going to, and I'm going to burn them again. Listen to this passage. This gets at some of what it's in Isaiah 48, uh, I believe it is, verse 10. Let me see if I if I'm right. Listen to. Um, let me do a little bit. It says, "I have refined you, though not as silver, and I have tested you in the furnace of affliction." Kara had a big encounter with the Lord about this, and had read an article by Charles Spurgeon, and he says that. I'm just going to paraphrase his, you know, uh, Spurgeon was very lengthy in what he said, but in short that when God finds a very special people, even the refinement that silver would bring, which we know that to be a redeeming agent, it's a high priestly kind of function. Even I'm going to refine you with a special fire, a fire that even what silver could produce, it would, it would go beyond what silver could. Why? Because I've elected out somebody for me that is very, very special to me. I want to suggest that, that that's what's been happening to us. And I, I know he's like, well, we're really special. Well, let me, just say, let me just say to you that what God's been doing with us, and I'm not saying it's exclusive to a lot of people. I don't, well, we know it's exclusive at least to 90%. But I believe the revelation of Jesus is, is that I would get down to 10% even of my people and I would refine them with a fire that's even different than what could be refined with silver or even with gold. I'm going to put you in a furnace 
of affliction. Because, why? Oh, this is so glorious, man. This is so glorious. Because like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, mm. there's a holy seed in the stump. Amen. There's something so holy coming forth, something so beautiful, something so profound, something that you've been elected for by God, mm. something that it wouldn't matter hardly with most of us that we try to go around and explain our situation to someone. They would not understand you. If you were to try to give a context, um, first of all, it would sound like you're coming off as an arrogant person to them. Oh, you think you're special. And then you have to just be quiet. You have to just take it. You have to just almost be like, who knows me? And I, I want to share this with you. It is a miracle. It is a miracle what he's done with us in this ministry. And I'll tell you what's the miracle is that we're together. It's a miracle because God brought us together. We didn't even have to have each other. To be refined like this and to be dealt with by the Father like this at this level, and nobody would ever understand hardly anybody you know like you ever tried to explain to the church age like what's been happening to us i mean it, it doesn't work they look at you eyes glassed over anybody else had this happen or is it just me you know everybody's eyes go glazed over and they look at you like you're like have three ears and one horn and like your nose is crooked and you lost two arms and you're like, why are you looking at me like that? I was just proclaiming the glory of who he's become to my soul. Amen. I didn't do anything or say anything other than the majesty and glory of who he is. And is there something wrong with me? Why do I? And then, then that God would bring us together and elect us from uh, four corners of the earth and bring this little ministry together. And that we would love each other as, as a family. And that when we do feel like, oh man, I'm being... I know some of y'all are feeling this. I know you are. It's like, oh, is this thing going to go forward? Are we going to be scattered again? Are we going to really coalesce? And here we are like on messenger, you know, and we can't let go. You know, we got to stay together. We've become a family, you know, and I don't care if this is podcast out everywhere. We're a family. We love each other. The Holy Seed's in the stump. And it harkens back to some of the greatest moves that God has ever done have been at stumps. Actually, most of the awakenings come from stumps. But this is somehow markedly different with us because there's a seed in the stump. And there's the rising of the root of David. There's the rising of the root of a Davidic monarchy that gives all the glory and praise to the man Jesus. It's not just a separation like Uzziah was experiencing. God was hearkening. He was speaking something into Isaiah that was to come one day. Something that where there could finally be. There could finally be so much restraint in God's people. They would never touch the glory. They would never do what Uzziah and Uzziah did. Or even when David on the ox cart. They would never do that. 
they would be so immersed and dwell in him that he himself would do his work through them and they would be fully submitted to his sovereign rule. And the sovereignty would rest in the individual at the point the individual rests in the sovereign. And God, uncreated God, would have his full right and sway inside of man. No Magna Carta was going to produce it. No glorious revolution was going to produce it. No uh, James Joyce, I've been reading him a little bit this week, was going to produce it. It was nothing that man could actually do. The only thing that we could do was put our hands behind our back. Give the keys to the Lord. Proverbially throw ourselves in the trunk of the car. And say, let the old man die. And bring forth something new. And out of this will awaken something that he himself is doing. Something he himself that will give glory to himself. Amen. Now, um, if you would like, you could turn on your uh, your microphones. On there's uh, this is really cool. We got 13 people on here. Uh, um, but you get you're welcome. To turn on your microphone and. Um, I'm, maybe some of y'all are just like buzzing. I hope you are. This is so exciting. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, Janie just said, I want you to be with me where I am. And maybe, uh, maybe there's, uh, questions, comments, um, ideas. Uh, I just want to open the, open up everything for that. Uh, you know, we worship you, Jesus. Uh, don't 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 be uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, speak up if and forever hold your no. <laughs> don't be reticent. Um, um, if you don't, I've got I've got a couple things. Uh, I wanted to ask Pete Lineker to make some comments because he really has a very profound word concerning this movement. And if you'd like to say something, go ahead. I can't hear any of you. They're all on mute. Oh. <laughs> uh, take your phone off mute. Take your thank you. Take your phone off mute if you'd like to. All right, there you are. Yeah, he hears me. Oh, good. Hey, turn on your uh, microphone. I I want you to. I, I'd like to uh, maybe um, speak to some of the things that's been going on in your heart. It's, I, I believe it. I wanted to hear you us to hear you last week, but it's some. If you don't mind. Um, can you all hear me? Yes. Let's see. I. Hmm, not sure where to begin. I think the most recent thoughts have really been around. What is this movement? Yes, you know, so there are, I have moments when I'm like, yes, <laughs> I know what's going on. And then the rest of most of the time, like, what is going on? <laughs> so um, I think maybe, you know, my, my, a lot of my understanding has come out of right, my experiences of um, gender healing, male, female in, in my soul and, um, 
and so I kind of I kind of see that as a you know one way one way to look at that is it's it's a fractal, and by fractal I mean like the mathematical term. You have uh, you know it's a binary thing. You have the male female, and you have but within the male and within the female that can be subdivided down again. So. I want to comment on the word atomic because I think there's one more um, understanding of that word. So I'll try to lead into that. So this fractal nature of, well, actually nature, God's creation, this division of um, male and female is in everything, really. Like you see it from nationally, right, with the, you know, historically, the house of the, um, the nation of Israel versus Judah. Um, that split, going all the way back to the garden, Adam versus Eve, the curse that came upon them. Um, you know, Adam blamed Eve and shifted responsibility away from himself. Eve was deceived and and essentially took the the step of rebellion. And and so that picture of those two sides that that feeds into everything from the national down to the personal, to the individual. And so. What I see that God wants to do is to heal that division on every single level and restore the male-female dynamic that should be a, um, what's the word? I'm, I'm gonna stray into, I want to use that language. Um, <laughs> languages, you know, as we've been exploring languages, have to, we have to use our words carefully in order to not introduce connotations that may lead astray. So, you know, male and female is meant to be a partnership, isn't it? It's a, you can't have one without the other. And, uh, you know, one without the other is, is bro something is broken, something is missing, and each brings something to the table that is necessary. And so for, for that, for God to heal and restore that fractal, the fractal of, let's say it, the number two division into two things from that from the individual personal level within each person all the way up to a national level it's something that you know you can look through history at every single um conflict and every single organization human organization and see that this division this conflict exists on some the tension exists on some level but I think God's design is for harmony rather than tension. And we have such a, you know, we, we have no idea what that looks like because we've never experienced it as individuals or, or, or collectively in, any, in, in a sense, have we? You know, we have, God has healed people. You know, I've experienced healing of that dynamic um, probably to a, a degree and probably there's a good way to go. Um, and so... So it's it's hard to see what is what does the outcome really look like. But if you, I think we can imagine peace, shalom, peace between where there's a there's a split into two factions. I think that's that that is what we have to look forward to. Um, so the word atomic, another use for the word atomic. So Carol, you you talked about down to the atomic level. But the, the, I think the word atomic is, it's, is it Greek? And it means something like you cannot divide further. Uh, and so in, 
in some uses of the word atomic, so in, in computer programming, which is what I do, something that is atomic is something that has to be done in one step. It can't be broken down into multiple steps. So it's not an incremental process in a sense when it comes to this. I think there's an atomic sense of that everything gets fixed or nothing gets fixed. If any part of it is still broken, then the whole is still broken. And, and so that's something that only God can do. That's only something that God can sovereignly orchestrate and begin to do. That, that's, I think, um, that this sovereignty in what God is doing here also speaks to this, um, the, the process of going from, I'm trying to remember the, the word that I've heard so much, probation, <laughs> to and through to conferral and and so on that as you know I've, I've had a little time to read some of meredith klein as well and worth reading um it's, it has to be orchestrated it has to be done by god because mankind cannot we cannot lift ourselves by our bootstraps into a higher place i mean that that is if you look at all the, the worldly philosophers um, you now nietzsche the ubermensch that's it's just not possible simply not possible. It has to be done by an external agent, and that is God, God alone. Any, any other mechanism is, is obviously just deception. Mankind has not achieved anything but just more deception. And so it's kind of an astonishing thing to consider that, that perhaps God is sovereignly making a move to transition metamorphose from a place where we've been in as humans for you know since creation and um since jesus as a second adam out of probation into a place of greater dominion like the, bringing the ecclesia into true dominion and out of that dominion the kingdom growing and growing and growing until the restoration of all things is accomplished. What else? Uh, Carol, is there anything else that, anything that you, any questions? I don't, I'm not really sure. Sometimes I'm much better at um, writing. I have like, my brain processes can, <laughs> can sort of emerge onto paper much better than spoken. So I feel like I ramble. No, it's really excellent. Can you say again what you meant about a, the definition of atomic? Um, expand yeah, on that. Um, so atomic, I think the Greek word means something that can't be divided any further. And so, you know, as, as a computer programmer, um, I, under, I have an understanding of that word as like, let's, let's say you have, this is, I hope this this is understandable. Like, let, let's say you have a computer program that is handling like a bank transaction. Like, um, I go to the ATM, I put in my card, PIN, and I say I want to withdraw ten dollars. Right? I want a ten dollar bill out of the machine. So the computer has to check the balance, make sure that that ten dollars exists in in the account. Let's say, and deduct that ten from the account and make sure that the bill gets spit out. And if any of those steps fail, let's say like the computer hits an error and it fails to deduct 10, then the whole thing has to 
fail. As in, you, the 10 remains in your account, you didn't get the $10 bill, the, and the ATM just says error, and you try again. And so there's this sense of atomic, like it has to entirely succeed or entirely fail. Not any, it can't, you can't have like, it, the ATM give you $10, but it failed to debit that 10 from your account. It has to be an atomic operation. Like you can't divide this up into multiple steps. It has to be seen as, a, as one operation. Bank account minus 10, ATM gives you the $10 bill. If the $10 bill doesn't come out, then it didn't come out of your account, right? There's, so there's, so you can see it as two different operations here, like an ATM giving you a 10 and your bank account balance reducing by 10. But it has to be atomic, as in you have to see it as it either succeeded all the way or it didn't succeed all the way. None of it, either all succeeded or none of it succeeded. And so we've been in, you know, as, a, as people, as, as humans, in a state of um, none of it has ever succeeded. None of these, none of this fractal of two healing has ever succeeded to any degree in society. This, this division it just simply exists and exists and has existed. But God is giving, God, for it to this, healing and restoration of the fractal of to the male and the female. It has to go all the way. Either it goes all the way or it doesn't work at all because any fracture then fractures the whole again. And so it has to be, it's almost like a ratcheting mechanism of like it goes forward and it cannot go back. There is a healing and restoration and then there's no return, which is kind of mind blowing. Yeah, as Aaron is doing in the background. Uh, so I don't know if I if I'm able to convey that meaning of atomic very well. well I, I thought you did a really nice uh, job with that. One of the things that highlights to me is um, um, is what is happening here within in the 70th week concerning Daniel 70 weeks. If you look at Daniel 9, I think that. Um, you see in Daniel 9, much like what you're speaking of, I'm just going to bring this up right quick. And then, so in regards to Daniel 9 concerning the, the 70 weeks, he says, verse 24 of Daniel 9, he says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city. Number one, to finish the transgression. Number two, to put an end to sin. Number three, to atone for iniquity. Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. And then number five, to seal, or one translation says, to authenticate the vision and prophet or the prophetic vision. And number six, and some people say this is seven. They separate out the vision being anointed or authenticated the the prophet or the, the prophetic word being authenticated and to anoint the most holy place. It's There's different views on that, whether it's six components or seven. A lot of scholarship holds to this being in three couplets of two, a couplet being two. 
it sounds like to me that this decree that that comes out concerning the 70th week that this is getting at the atomic level of uh, what you're saying which i had felt like when the lord showed me this on the 66th week the second day i thought uh that's a very profound thing lord and that you would be again doing this work within your remnant ahead of time before your return to uh, proverbially send out the little stone out of the mountain or the mustard seed that turns into a great tree or that you would begin this work in us as your people that you would bring this fire like back at the terabit tree 10 percent that you would begin working this kind of fire and this kind of work within us so that you could wreck reconcile us back to yourself that this is very unusual uh like you said that this hasn't happened in the course of human history ever except with the lord himself no one this has never happened with fallen human beings ever and um it kind of shook me up a lot that this is the lord's i believe speaking this about us and why he put us back in eden land and in probation that he was going to have an atomic locus where the probation would be finally dealt with with man and woman for the restoration of male, female, Jew and Greek and bond and free. It would deal with ethnicity. It would deal with economic and political, and it would deal with our, uh, our gender issues and our marriages, that it would go to the very basis of covenant to the core. And that the Lord would end up raising up a second exodus unto this covenant that has been fully restored. And then it would move out to an atomic menace because only by beholding the face of God could man's hand, menace means hand, could man's hand actually skillfully do what it should actually do every day in a right way. Like you said, there's no... You'll not pull up your bootstraps on this and bring about this kind of move. Only, only the Lord could bring this about. He can only lead us and he could only heal us and purify us. Only the Lord. And then it would go into an atomic conus. It would literally transition into the continents of the United States here and then the continents of the world. So it would spread this government of this covenant in us, which spread all over the earth, leading to an atomic nexus, which is glorification of man, which would be so that there's no more uh, differentiation between us and the kingdom of heaven. We are fully integrated with uh, that kingdom. And so that's what I was saying. I was like, Lord, I don't know what else to express today because Atomic locus, manus, conus, and nexus is so profound. It's so penultimate. It's so ultimate in its um, nature and speaking that uh, there, what else do you say? And then accept that the Lord's going to begin the second exodus to unfold this. I, I had seen 17 years ago, it was like, an, it was like a light blue glowing dna uh, structure coming out and it was hitting people and they were getting receiving like a full rna upgrade 
and restoring full covenant to them, to the Father. And he was empowering it to everyone who desired him. He would give them the rights to be called the sons and daughters of God. But if you blocked him, he would not force this covenant onto anyone. But to those who were hungry, he would give his whole self to them and fully put into them both order and freedom, both restore male and female in their soul, would restore the bond and free the socioeconomic issue within them, the racist issue. He would restore the whole entire soul back to complete um, liberty, not license, and righteousness, but not self-righteousness. He would give everything back that had been stolen and lost at uh, paradise and fully reinstate us um, both in locus, then with our ability to actually reach out and engage in our work, manus, unto conus, the dominion and right of land, the uh, the nations and the redistribution of uh, power uh, unto even a brand new body, even as amazing as this human body is right now, that he would even upgrade the body to be able to access the heavens and access him with without literally no inhibition. That he would rest in us and we rest with him and begin uh, governing with him. And so getting it down to this real union uh, is priceless. I mean, it is the pearl of great price. It's selling everything you have just to have him. It's, it's however he leads you, of course, but I mean, it's, um, he's everything. And it, it's the father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. Uh, take what you have and give to the poor. Don't hold on to anything. Uh, Jesus says in John 17, everything I have, Father, is yours, but everything you have is mine. And it's like that. And anyways, okay, I've, I've said a lot. So, But I just want to highlight the 70 weeks as a, that he's saying this, the Lord is saying this for his end time. This is glorious. Um, anyone else, you comment, uh, you just turn on your, your audio if you want to uh, make some remarks or questions or I had something I could share real quick. Okay. Awesome. Um, I feel like the Lord was, uh, uh, showing this to me, uh, last night, three or four points that we should remember going into this next season. Um, enjoy the light. Um, be thankful. God has a love gift for his people in the screen. I think that was it. There was sort of a fourth one, but I forget what it is right now. So to expound on that, um, enjoy the light. It means there's light coming to shine on us in a you know, metamorphosis type way that um, will be unprecedented. And enjoy it with childlike faith. Um, and so I had this picture of like um, a seven-year-old. I, I feel like Collider right now is kind of like a seven-year-old. All of us together are like a seven-year-old about to go on um, the biggest, best vacation of their lives. But they don't really know where they're going because they're seven years old. You know, their parents have told them where they're going. They've used this word but it, the word doesn't really mean anything to them because they've never been there before and they're only seven. 
and they're really looking forward to this vacation. It's going to be the coolest thing ever. And that's, that's where we're sitting right now. It's like, oh, man, God's about to do something huge. It's going to be unprecedented. It's, this is amazing. But we, we have any idea, like, where we're going or what this is going to look like um, exactly. And um, I don't know about y'all, but I've been spending some time, unfortunately, thinking about what it's going to look like and trying to imagine what it's going to be like and, and how is it going to benefit our lives. And I would imagine some of y'all have spent some time doing this over the past uh, couple weeks. And it, you, you realize pretty quickly it's not a good thing to do um, because it's, it's kind of like the seven-year-old worrying about, well, mom and dad, where are we going to stay in the, what, where are we going to stay the third night? Where are we going to stay the fourth night? Like, you don't, you know, the parents are just like, don't, don't worry about it. We got it all planned out. I just want you to enjoy the ride. And I think that's what God's speaking to us. Pete said this in his, in his train dream thing four months ago. Uh, look forward to it with childlike perspective. like means don't try to guess what it's going to be like. Just childlike back and enjoy the ride in the present moment. And, like, God's doing this. God's, you know... He, he is the parent leading us on this adventurous vacation of a lifetime, and we just trust him with childlike expectancy. He will get us there. It's going to be glorious, but, you know, let's not spend too much time um, thinking about it and, and trying to guess what this is going to look like and what we're going to be doing, what our assignment in this is going to be. Because if, if, we, if we do that, it, we develop expectations. And I can almost guarantee you those expectations will be disappointed when God finally does, you know, lead us into the same. Um, and once we get disappointed about the fact that God's movement didn't look like what we wanted to, then we get offended at God, and then we get angry at God, and then we're in grave danger of, um, you know, missing the train of what God's doing, and um, I'll, I'll tell you, the best way to combat this problem is to be thankful, and that was why that was one of the bullet points, be thankful. Uh, I just can't tell you how many things being thankful accomplishes. It, it solves so many problems all at once in a similar way that worship does. It's, uh, and you don't even have to think about all the problems or even be aware of all the problems, but if you just practice gratitude, it cancels all these problems out. And so that, that's why, uh, so yeah, and God's got a love gift for his people in stream, and um, so he's got a really beautiful, wonderful thing coming our way. Um, so let's, let's enjoy it with, with childlike joy and, and expectancy and practice gratitude, be thankful, and enjoy the present moment, and don't think too much about even tomorrow or next week. Let's just enjoy the present moment. God is moving. He has a plan. His plan is really, really good. He has good gifts uh, coming for his children. So, uh, yeah, that was it. Excellent. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Amen, Austin. Amen. Being thankful, that's huge. Hey, this is Jeff here. Hey, Jeff. I'm here at Traveler's Rest while uh, Austin's talking about being on Journey together. And uh, 
I just thought I'd comment um, on the last meeting we were at together at the YMI. I had a, a vision during worship about where we're going, where uh, the collider was going, and um, where the people are going. And the way that the Lord showed that to me during worship was I saw like a an open like an open heaven behind Carol and Stephen up on the platform. And the way the Lord chose to reveal to reveal to me like the next step was he showed me a highway. And I thought, well that's interesting. You're showing me a highway. And then as that highway was traveled, uh, there was a place of enthronement, you know, in the in the throne room with the Lord. So, you know, just thinking about what Austin just shared and and the excellent exposition of Isaiah six, that was so good, Carol. Um, that, that might be a good uh, good compliment. There's something about journey. Yeah, there's something about journeying, you know, with the Lord. Like, fought, like, you know, like Jesus' words to the disciples, you know, actually wasn't say a prayer. It was follow me. You know, it wasn't like the sinner's prayer. Actually, it was come, come with me, journey with me, know me, be with me, follow me. And um, you know, Abraham, like setting out, not knowing where he's going. Uh, there's just something really um, both unsettling, but but very um, drawing into the into the presence of the Lord when we go on journey together. That's really good. It, it's interesting in um, our process together. You know, we've been processing through the Hebrew letters. Uh, just to comment on the highway through the that open heaven. The letter we're in now is Semek. And um, the only way I could kind of understand it was like a wheel within a wheel, a mode of travel or a means of, of movement. And we had come through the nun, which means the promised inheritance. And, and after going to um, going up to York and Lancaster and unpacking that together prophetically, and then uh, the word takes Kara and I down to Savannah, which was a really, really profoundly interesting um, encounter with him as far as travel went and connected the Savannah trip with the York and Lancaster trip in regards to our nation and basically shows that I was coming off the back end of dealing with a one Solomon Lodge, which was a Freemason building there in Savannah and cursing it. And Carrie and I drove to Tabby Island to get some coffee because we couldn't find any in Savannah for some reason. And we're coming back through, and someone sends us uh, $1,600. And I, I was sort of like, it was. Kara and I haven't been on a trip like that in so many years, and I wanted it to be really special. And I had already just kind of been at my desk sort of crying out to the Lord, asking him, what's this about? And it's a complicated story, but in short, 
I was driving and I didn't know we were actually literally on the ground where John and Charles Wesley had come and started a prayer meeting right, right, almost identically where uh, Fort Pulaski and Tabby Island, where they come across and start a prayer meeting. Our vehicle's literally there when the money like hits our account. And right at that moment, I said, the Lord said, do you see what's going on? I said, what? He said, I want to connect 1600 with Pennsylvania, the York and Lancaster issue, which is the, has to do with the War of the Roses. And he said, you know what I mean? And I said, um, uh, you mean uh, 1600 Pennsylvania? It's like, right, do you know what that is? Do you know what that address is? And I said, yeah, I know, Lord. He says, well, I just want you all to know that. Uh, I want you to understand that I'm, I'm wanting to uh, reap in this nation. And I have a goal to pull my people here. And I, I needed to get beneath the foundation that had been laid in a mosaic law-based way and introduce my covenant into this nation. And uh, I know that so many believers have been a part of this. It's not like, okay, we got the, like, the deal on this or anything like that, but it just was so, uh, so amazing to realize that the Lord wants the land out of this Mosaic Covenant into an Abrahamic, out of a plus negative into a plus plus to re release his glory on our soul, soil. And he wants to release it for covenant for the purpose of restoring the family. I was able to take Kara down to Hilton Head Island after that and you know treat her the way I'd really like to and love on her. And we just had the best time together as a husband and wife. It's just probably one of the most dear, tender times, uh, you know, it's, that I've had with her since we've been married for 21 years. And there was no way I could do it. But the Lord wanted to deal with something and um, related to this, to our nation, related to uh, one Solomon Lodge. And, you know, I don't know if y'all know this, but uh, one Lodge Drive is a very popular place within this nation which is uh, happens to be Biltmore House in Asheville. And I, I felt like the words, like I'm, I'm really speaking about seeding a government here with my people for the purpose of the restoration of covenant within my families. And, and I'm wanting to get down to beyond the war, like the War of the Roses and the problem that was happening in Lancaster and York. I want to get beneath even the issues of like Rehoboam and Jeroboam, I want to get back to Solomon's indiscretion and uh, trying to spread the kingdom in a wrong way. I want to get down underneath all that and get to me, to him himself, on an atomic level. Because of this conus, he wants to he wants to restore his people back to himself because he loves so much and. We've had so many problems, you know, with the Civil War, the American Revolution, the racism, the immorality's been rampant, our economy and everything. The Lord uh, is seeking to uh, make a real change. And I, I believe that highway that you're referencing is that. And there, like you're saying, Austin, there, there can't be some kind of presupposition as to the way the Lord will lead us because if you set your expectation 
in a wrong way towards him, you will be sorely disappointed and you can lose your grateful heart because you can't imagine what he's going to do next at all, ever. It's always new and it's and it's exciting. You might find out in retrospect. In uh, Klein's book, he said on page 149, he said, while prosecuting the lawsuit of the Mosaic Covenant, the prophets also proclaimed the promises of an Abrahamic covenant and thereby were heralds of the Messiah and the new covenant. So, too, the prophecy of the 70 weeks makes known that before the collapse of the typal kingdom, the foundations of an enduring messianic kingdom would be laid. And the key terminology for this is covenant vocabulary. Um, that corresponds in Daniel 9, 26, and 27. In 27a, it is Berit, or the covenant itself. And in 26a is Karat, the term that is used for a cutting ritual of the ratification of covenants. And so the Lord wanted to put a Karat with a Berit, one to cut covenant, to bring covenant down at the atomic level for the purpose of uh, this cutting ritual, establishing covenant within this nation uh, to set in place something that would lead to, I believe, is going to lead to a awakening uh, among God's people and a, a reaping of a harvest within our nation, unlike maybe anything we've ever seen. Uh, Kara made this point. I thought it was so apropos, but she, she says it sort of in jest or humor. He's like, uh, how does it go up? Paul, we know, but who are you? That that verse. <laughs> the Lord knows. The powers of the air know. They know who who the Lords are and whose covenantal loyalty to Him is consummate or confirmed or <sighs> confirmed or have been through probation. And there, the the highway that Jeff is speaking of, I believe, is this highway of holiness. Uh, but but also. Um, that a movement must move, you know, that we are beginning, uh, the, God himself is beginning to move uh, among his people. But why? Because he cares about covenant and he cares about his people and loves them. He's not going to start something with his people where loyalty to his royalty is not complete. Um meaning that many of us have been pushed out and tested and tried and hardship and everything with every objection to get you to object to him to see what will you do. Uh, to complain like you're pointing out, Austin, is um, just to miss the whole point about mm -hmm. condition of household or condition of my family or uh, how much food I have, how much re resources I have, uh, that all of that has to be washed off to a thankful heart. And that to the thankful heart, the Lord would mm. give. And then you're okay with whatever he decides. You know, what what housing provision does he decide? What food provision does he decide? What direction does he decide to give you? What That you're completely satisfied because you're satisfied mm. in a relationship with him. Um, so there's no more competition anymore. Uh, that we're joint heirs with Christ. Uh, anyone else speak to that or? What was that? Barat. Barat. Um, now these are uh, barit, and yeah, barit is the word for a covenant, and karat is the term that is used for the uh, cutting ritual 
in the ratification of a of covenant. And so when you're ratifying covenant, you bring in a a spell K A R A T correct. Uh, yeah, the diamond or carrot or the cut to cut down to the core, down to the atomic level, so that love would be produced with full full of loyalty, but not loyalty like you got to do what I tell you to, but loyalty in the sense of I love you in my whole self. Yeah, I'm free mm-hmm. to love, and I love to be free, and I love to be loyal, and I, no one's demanded anything of me. I just loyalty. I love uh, Psalm 119, 113. David said, um, he said, uh, I hate those who have a duplicitous heart. I, I love your law. I love your law. Um, any, uh, do you have something that, Amanda? Or you... Yeah. Um, I'm making a connection with the the highway. Can you speak up just a little. And, can you speak up just a little bit. Um. Yeah. There's this connection coming through for me to do with the highway, and the stream, uh, and the 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 way that God has been speaking to us about, um, Ezekiel 17 and some other passages. So basically, uh, so the highway is something that includes that brings in many other people. And I think about that verse in the Psalms, in whose hearts are the highways to Zion. Um, But the word stream, as Austin was talking about it, God has this love gift for stream of people. Um, I want him just to relate really quick how he got the word stream. Uh, The stream is... um... In Rick Joyner's book, The Torch and the Sword, and basically it's kind of um, the the flow, uh, uh, and it's also um, Mike Bickle got the prophetic word that IHOP is the white horse, and it needs to stay in the middle of the stream so it does not get attacked by the wolves on either side of the stream, and basically the stream is intimacy with God, this this life of intimacy with God and, and pursuing God's faith, pursuing God for himself. And um, in Rick Joyner's book, uh, Rick, as, as a God-appointed leader of a movement, has to defend the stream from the enemy. And uh, when the enemy draws close, he actually converts some of the enemy to Jesus and teaches them to drink from the stream. And the more people drink from the stream, the bigger the stream gets until it flows into this this giant river. So I, I think it's, you know, the stream is basically what the remnant is in, God's love. And um, it, it's kind of related to a, a journey, a road that we're on, as Jeff is still driving down that road <laughs> on a really cool looking vacation there. Um and um, so God has a love gift for um, for us, his people that are in the stream, the remnant. Yeah, so I'm, I'm putting that idea together. Basically, the stream is meant to increase. And the road, this highway, is meant to grow, is meant for more people to travel it. And what God has been highlighting to me out of Ezekiel 17... And um, I think it's Matthew 
12 or 13, the, the kingdom of God is like a, a mustard tree that grows from a mustard seed. The trees um, in these two parallels are specifically mentioned as giving shelter to the birds and the little animals. And, and so the tree, as it grows, is like the nurturing hotbed of more people being sheltered and more people being brought in. So the highway, the stream, the tree, these are all ways that God is expressing that the blessing is going to grow and envelop more and more people. So just that parallel and just that realization that um, that this is meant to include more and more people uh, in in a sheltering way or in a in a way that the the blessing increases. Amen, Julianne. Amen. All right, this is Tom. I I wanted to um uh share a bit about, especially in relation to uh, what Carol was speaking when when Isaiah talked about uh, prophesying after he got the call that uh, he would prophesy to people that would have eyes that wouldn't see and ears that wouldn't hear. That Jesus says that basically word for word out of uh, what Isaiah's prophecy was in Matthew 13 in his description of why he speaks in parables that many will have eyes to see and, and do not see many will have ears and do not hear he says hearing you will hear and shall not understand and seeing you will see and not perceive and the hearts of my people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they show, should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I would heal them. So if they understood, if they saw, they would, they would turn and heal them. Before that, in Matthew 13, Jesus says to disciples, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And there's an interpretation of the parables that Jesus is, is bringing forth. There's parables um, that talk about the resurrection. There's parables that talk about the judgment seat of Christ and what happens at the judgment seat of Christ. And there's a king, the kingdom of heaven in its fullness is going to be the thousand year reign, which is the next age to come. That's when heaven in its fullness will come onto earth and we will rule and reign with Christ for a, a, a thousand years. I would suggest that at the judgment seat of Christ, it will be determined, which happens at the beginning of the age. Uh, the thousand-year reign at the end of this age, that those believers who are found worthy will enter into the kingdom of heaven, and those who aren't will miss it. There's another age that comes after the thousand-year reign, and that age begins with the great white throne judgment. 
and those who missed the kingdom of heaven, those believers who are carnal and um, haven't repented and are not ready for the coming of the Lord, will find that their name is in the book of life, the great white throne judgment, and they will inherit eternal life because they got it by faith. It's nothing that you, we can lose when we believe in God. Uh, for God to love the world, that he gave his only son, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. When we believe, we inherit eternal life that cannot be taken away from us. There's other inheritances that can. And there is a revelation that is coming that we will understand the security that we have as a believer by believing in faith, but that there is things that we must do that we are accountable for what we do or don't do. The great thing is all we have to do is repent and all iniquity is washed from us. But if we don't, there's a consequence for not repenting. And God is opening that up and, and revealing these words. And I could tell you the, some of the things that the Lord has taught me are, are so disruptive to the doctrines of men, from Calvinism and Arminianism, that prevent the people of God from actually seeing, from actually hearing. Uh, it would be, for instance, just listening to one news source, you know, uh, and getting all your information from that news source. The, the same things have, have been happening through the seminaries uh, in terms of making us understand uh, the word in a particular way. The Lord says that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the earth, and then he'll come. The gospel of the kingdom is different from the gospel of grace. These are the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And I can't get into a great deal of what uh, these things are, but I hope we'll understand or start to um be challenged that there's things that we haven't seen and there's things that we haven't heard that God is going to start revealing concerning the kingdom of heaven. Now, in my understanding, things I've written about the parables and some being um, uh, concerning the revelation and some concerning the judgment seat of Christ and putting these all these pieces together... This is a lot different than there's a judgment and you need to go to, to heaven or the lake of fire and it's case closed. No, it's it, there's two judgments. And so that this changes the, uh, what God is trying to communicate. There's a warning for us to be ready, but there's also a promise um, of eternal life that we have that is secure. In my understanding, I know that this next age, there will, it, it will be, um, there will, when Jesus comes back on the white horse, defeat, defeat all the enemies at the Battle of Armageddon, at the end of this age, he will toss the beast and the false prophet into the lake of fire and bind Satan for a thousand years. That will be the ultimate defeat of the enemy at that point in time. And what we're sort of understanding now is that 
the kingdom, there's a transition that's happening, that we're getting close to the next stage, but there is a transition in terms of the kingdom of heaven coming on earth right now by a people. And I don't have this all understood, but there's something like a man-child that is being birthed, that this, this, that, uh, in the same way that Jesus came to earth and the, and the kingdom of heaven actually started when Jesus came to earth. And it, it, the kingdom of heaven is now in its fullness. It will be in the thousand-year reign. But as we believe in Christ, as we um, break the veil between our realm and the kingdom of heaven, then the kingdom of heaven is on earth. Signs and wonders. When Jesus came to the... To, uh, to Israel, he was warning, he had the gospel of the kingdom. They were righteous, they believed in God, but they were wayward. But he was suggesting to them that they could miss the kingdom. And if they did not, if they, if they, and he, he showed power, the power of, within miracles, signs and wonders and deliverance. So what I think what, what is happening, and I'm, I'm just sort of putting this out, that the kingdom of heaven is being birthed in a new way right now, and this is part of the transition. And we see this, this sort of ultimate battle is at the Battle of Armageddon, but there's an advance in the same way that Joshua was going into a promised land to take the land that we are, by the power of God, going to do that, not by... Uh, you know, over you know, taking over the political governments or uh, the financial systems, but that we would actually be independent in the same way that Jesus was independent. He was he wasn't polluted by the kingdoms of this world, and that there is so this man child comes, and there you can see the battle that is happening. That the that the resistance is so that the harlot comes down during this age. That the the B system puts in all these parameters to limit the people of God from either worshiping uh, the beast or not being able to buy himself. And this is, I, I don't understand it fully. I understand um, an aspect of the kingdom of heaven. And he, the Lord has given me revelation towards this end, which I need to, which is being held back until the people of God are hungry for it and that revelation would come remember revelation is something is something that we've never heard before right <laughs> that's that's what revelation is otherwise we're just hearing the same thing but god is going to be bringing forth this newness so that we can um navigate um walking in the the newness of this the kingdom of heaven now and um so that there would be this sort of birth of, in the same way that Joshua, you know, crossed the river, and then by the direction of the Lord, not really by the, not by the strength of his hands, but by the strategies of the Lord, took land and walked through that land. Ultimately, Joshua took all that land, but this is sort of like that beginning process where not saying to the people of God, I want you to initiate this. I want you to come out of Babylon. I want you to come into a new kingdom, and I want the kingdom of heaven on earth right now, and I want you to advance. 
so that the land that is rightfully ours, listen, we have an inheritance of this world that Jesus is coming back. The enemy is going to be crushed, destroyed, and we will rule, he will rule and reign over the earth. We have a deeded right to this land. This is our land. And again, I'm not saying go out there with pitchforks to, you know, or Molotov cocktails, just the opposite is that we will take the land just by walking on it, by blessing it, by um, declaring, setting people free, and that the, the, this harvest that comes from the, from the ends of the world so that they will participate. This is part of the inheritance that Jesus has. And I know this is complicated, and, um, and actually maybe it's just a, I, I, I don't have all the answers, but I know that God is moving a particular way and that it should almost make us hunger and thirst in terms of what this is. What, what are these pieces? What are these mysteries of the kingdom of heaven? Because he says, it has been given to you to know the mysteries of, of the kingdom of heaven. And then he, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, which is these are hints of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And when we get the true understanding of what the parables are saying, instead of it being aloof and sort of obscure and, cloudy, we will understand that we're getting the uh, the mind of Christ concerning it. Thank you, Tom. Um, while Tom was speaking of the kingdom of heaven, one of the things, and I hopefully this is waking up to you, uh, the parabolic nature of the kingdom of heaven, in my understanding, was meant, those parables are meant to basically build an access point for you into the kingdom. So it's saying it's like because they can't fully describe it, but they create a, uh, let's say, a hunger or a desire to know. And what you find out is what Jesus was saying when he came on the scene. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, meaning that the kingdom of heaven is here right now. The question is, and this is what was happening with Isaiah, because he was spatially disoriented, and that's what happens with us a lot. That Today, that, that message out of Isaiah 6 is to orientate you to the nature of the kingdom of heaven, uh, because the kingdom of heaven is actually here now. Um, and it, uh, Stephen, I, I think you're on here, and I think it'd be like, like, you have some really good comments about this. I don't know if you remember the day we were at Chick-fil-A, um, right there off Patton Avenue. And we were talking about this very thing. I don't know if you'd like to make some comments on the way that you see myth and fact with C.S. Lewis and how you're crossing between these two realms. Do you want to comment? I think you're on mute probably, but you want to comment on this? Because this is, you have a poetry about you, and of course you lead us across this bell all the time. Um, would you like to say anything? Or you could sing it, yes. <laughs> are you there, brother? Can you hear me now? Yeah, there you are. Hey, brother. Hey. Um, yeah, you want to comment on, on that? Because you got a perceptive understanding of this. I think it's just profound. I'd like for people to hear what you think about it. Okay. I'm trying to think how to start. Um. For for me, myth is actually it's funny you said you have a poetry about you because to me that's 
that's kind of what I think of myth. When I was in college, I was taking um, English courses and they told me that the, the greatest, uh, one of the things we learned was um, the best way to be able to understand history is to actually read the quote facts of what happened, but also to read the poetry of the same age. Because in one sense, the only in the fact factual sense, all you're getting is the step by step um, way things happen. But in the poetry, it's pretty much like getting the story. You finally get the story, the the meta narrative that you're talking about. You know that usually comes when you think about it in your and and I guess all of our past lives to some degree. The when we. When we have those moments when we feel alive, when we have those moments when we feel called and we have those moments where we actually are called, all these different things, usually it's involved in some sort of, of story that happens, some sort of meta narrative of your life that you kind of come into. And honestly, I, I, in my opinion and for me, this has been the very purpose of myth in my life. Um, myth. Also, just a side note, when I say myth, uh, try not to think of uh, the, the way I grew up was, you know, myth is nothing but lies. Myth is false and lies, and it's trying to take the place of God. Um, I don't think that's true at all. I think actually most, most myths, when you study them out, are actually these wonderful aspects, um, what C.S. Lewis does call good dreams of God that has been implanted inside of all societies inside of all men jesus is the desire of all nations you know every single person eternity is planted in their, their heart his story is planted in their heart so there's everything they see their myth their legends all these things they're always pointing to god in a sense um because it it, it tells a story it, it actually it builds you up whereas fact is just um well, we see it the way when Carol was talking earlier about modernism and postmodernism, you know, we, we've we've taken the the myth of the story out in the sense of now everybody, especially biblically and in, and in Christianity, everybody's trying to come up with some proof, some reason why God exists or some proof that Jesus really was alive or some proof that this part of scriptures is really happening or Jonah. You know, I had some friends um, at a church I used to play with years ago and. They were actually talking to me about how, well, you know, the stories in the Bible didn't actually happen. They're just stories to help you understand who God is. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, this is this is so inundated into us that we're trying to always figure out the proof. And the um, because in us, for some reason, in our mindset with our society, the proof gives us a sense that it's real. And but the problem is, is when, when we feel that things are real, when we have meaning into something, they, that meaning that we get, it usually comes by myth. It usually comes by story. It usually comes by some meta narrative um, or even narrative that is applying and happening in our lives that actually bring us into a place where we actually understand that we are where we're supposed to be. Um, now, you have to have fact because the myth like pushes you to continue in fact. It's kind of strange, but um, I don't know if that's, is that kind of what you're asking for? Yeah, and 
the reason why, um, Stephen, and, and for the rest of us, is my understanding of how we relate to the Father. And I've said this so many times, you know, a better translation of the word faith is faith is a title deed hope for the objective proof of an unseen reality. That the title deed is in the literal the proof. Let's say the uh, the it is the fact, whereas the the myth is in the the objective proof, which seems backwards to us. We and so a lot of us will seek for proof in a, but we don't look beyond beyond that into the double connotation and. I've done a couple podcasts on this, which I, I highly recommend, called The Expanse and Moby Condor, because what I'm attempting to do is to show or demonstrate that the kingdom of heaven, which is at hand now, is accessible to us to relate to and is actually objectively real. So when you're talking about myth or connotation or um, Tom's talking parabolically or about the parables. The Lord instituted the parable or the myth, uh, what's hidden in man's heart, even from the very foundation, to draw us into a storyline. Uh, that meta narrative, that storyline that involves all of us in some way and in our own personal story or national stories or multinational stories, is something that's accessible to us. Um, and if we're constantly throwing off, well, unless we have proof, well, that's why he'll say, I'll give you no other proof than the son of Jonah, who, uh, which was Nineveh's repentance, so that we can cross over into myth or into connotation because God's spirit is attempting by light to communicate to us by double connotation, which again is the objective proof or the double proof or triple proof of an unseen reality so that we will bring the unseen reality, which is the kingdom of heaven, into literal reality, which is what you're terming as fact or into uh, the title deed is what, what he calls it. See, what's been so inaccessible, well, not actually inaccessible, Jesus' blood paid for this, was that all of us could relate to light in God by this double or triple connotation by waiting on him, and we would know that he was speaking to us, and then we would begin to live out of that narrative into the reality of now. Um, we would be so hooked into that kingdom of heaven uh that we live from it. So we, we're living from heaven, not trying to go to heaven. Hmm. We're, we're living our life from Jesus living his life in us instead of trying to get Jesus to hang out with us. I mean, it's, it's, it's not anymore I'm living a life uh, trying to get you know, God to approve, which is really a religious system that God through Christ is approving living his life through me. And I'm mobilized like that or living my life. And so there's been so much that has blocked the way, actually. And what I found was the Father does actually like to communicate with us a particular way. And we would say, well, 
I don't like that. I want him to communicate my way. Well, he's, he likes to do things his way, and it is the best way, actually. I, when I did Moby Condor, I was doing a write-up on it. I said, well, why do you do it this way? And he says, because I won't impose my will on you. Uh, I'm neither he, – he's not a tyrant. If he came in and basically revealed himself to us without our desire for him to, we'd say, you're imposing your will on me. And he actually would be. So he has to wait for us actually to seek him and say, I want you to reveal yourself to me. And then he says, you know what, I want to. And since you asked, I want to open up the double connotation. Here's where so many people lose it. They take that myth, the image that you're, and they, that can't be God. You know, like if, if he was to use something like a bird singing a song to you or uh, a rabbit just went by or uh, a poem from someone or a, a story of Arthur. Uh, that can't be God. Or, and I'll tell you, he will take his word, the word that becomes flesh and dwells among us, and he will begin to communicate with us by the avenue of his word, but primary source, but he will use secondary and tertiary source to communicate to you to confirm his word to you. You get caught up into that story and that narrative, and you don't want to get off of it uh, because you were made for it to be in, like you said, his story. You don't want to get off that storyline anymore uh, because anything else you find out is adultery and idolatry. It's, a, it's AI, and it's a ruinous life to live. And I, I really like hunger for God's people because I've been fraught with this, going through this for years, not knowing that the Lord wanted so much to install the king on the human heart of our soul so we could have full access to the kingdom of heaven. He, he's been wrestling with his people so much because we come to him and then we draw back because it hurts sometimes when we come to him because he deals with our, we feel spatially disoriented, uh, we need purification, and we run away from him. We spend a long time going back into our own faults, going back into somebody else's fault instead of just letting him come near. And that's the, Isaiah 6 today is just another picture of come near to me in the double connotation and let me speak to you. Um, open your eyes to something that don't feel like you've arrived. Uh, that's, that's been another big hindrance in the church. Is so many people are like, well, I've, I've arrived. and They just unplug and all they do is go back to Sinai or fill a pew and their life is miserable uh, because God made you for a story um, and you're caught up in it or you're not. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, just, just a quick. Um, for me, something that's really helped me with the understanding of with myth and fact um, actually goes right along with exactly what you're saying. Is there's these. Um, put it this way: someone walks into a house, and the owner of the house is he's uh, boiling water, and he's asked, "Well, why is the water boiling?" There's two responses. The first response is, well, when you take water and you put it on a heat source and you heat it up to a certain amount of temperature, then the molecules start moving faster and it gains, you know, height. And that would be fact. But the other response is, because I'm making a glass of tea, would you like some? 
And it's these two different ways that, you know, what you're talking about with this uh, denotation and connotation and then double connotation, it's like we're, we're stopping at the fact of, you know, we, we've learned how to stop at the fact. We've learned how to stop. Why is the water boiling? Oh, okay, because you made it so that if you heat up water to this degree, then this happens and we just stop there. That's how God works. That's how he is. That's who he is. But it has nothing to do with him in one sense, because what he's going after is I'm making myself a cup of tea. Would you like some? In other words, would you be in relationship with me? Would you follow me? Would you walk with me? Would you learn from me? Would you continue and be partakers of my story on the earth? If that helps any. Yes, Amen. That was beautiful. Thanks for that illustration. That's excellent. Um, uh, so, you know, the thing about what I'm talking about is a branch of um, semiotics, which is how to understand the symbolic realm and signs. And again, when I do the Expanse and Moby Condor, it's there to help you to uh, don't just take notes on those podcasts and really like uh, look at them and, and say, if, if you find that it sounds like I'm over your head or I'm talking over your head, then stop the podcast, get your dictionary out or your notes out and really like examine what's being said there because the Lord wants us to come across that barrier into what we call the realm of the spirit. And sometimes in your prayer life, it may not happen right when you're sitting there. But what, what happens is, I've, I've observed this in my relationship with him, is when I go give him myself, my whole self, my body, and in worship, sometime later, it's like he surprises me with joy. I, I think C.S. Lewis was saying, I'm surprised by joy. I'm like, there you are, there you are, there you are. Your spirit bears witness. I know what you're saying. It's And um, so many of us have, we... Oh, that can't be true. We might throw it out. Or, so that's odd. What am I, like an oddball? I would challenge that uh, if you start picking up that cup of tea, so to speak, that you drink the thing back, you know, and you allow that to become a part of your very narrative in life. It's not like, you know, so-and-so gets all these encounters and I'm going to live out of their encounter. Well, we might do that for a while to, like, learn. That's called discipleship. God wouldn't have it to be that way. He would have himself give encounters to everybody. He's not like, uh, you know, well, let's all live out of uh, Carol's encounter. I actually would be doing no good to anybody if we did that. I, I share my encounters only, mostly. Well, one, I'm really excited, you know, because I'm loved by the Father, you know, but and I love to have a good time. And this is so amazing to me personally. Number two, though, is to be like grant permission in a way. It's like, you know what? You mean you can live like that? I can live like that. I'm going to live like that. That life looks to me to be like a life worth living. Uh, it has meaning and purpose. Everything has meaning and purpose uh, in him. You're like, you got to be kidding me. The color of the spatula and the way the tree branch just moved has purpose, everything gives glory to the Amen. Lord. And even your enemies do. Your enemy says something against you that you didn't push out or you didn't make happen, even that gives glory to the Lord. 
as it tells you maybe from a negative direction what God may be saying to you. You find uh, this amazing life to live. You know, I just get so excited about this. And you live from that world. Uh, otherwise, it's either I live out of what I can do, right-based anger, control, or I'm left-based despair, manipulation, always trying to work out something for myself. Either way, it's really that other life is miserable. Um, no matter how much money you have or don't have, how many friends you have or don't have, how much education you have or don't have, it's a miserable way to live. Um, and it, you, it will bring you no purpose or meaning. Uh, any other comments before we close today? Yeah, Steve, I wanted to um, just piggyback on what you said. It was, you know, it's interesting. Jesus uh, spoke the parables, and then that was the end of it. And it was the disciple who went to him afterwards saying, what do you mean? Oh. And he sat down with them, and he revealed, you know, he started unfolding that and unpacking that. And uh, and it may be that, you know, we're going into new, you know, new territory here that uh, is outside the box, and we're going to have to really hear from the Lord and really, um, you know, understand the markers along the, the highway, along, you know, in terms of where, what we should do and how we should do it. And so I think it, I think it's instructive that, uh, you know, you know, understanding myth, understanding parables, really a sort of opening, training us to, uh, to listen and to perceive God in, in a different way. And quite frankly, he likes, he's hidden as, as you were saying, he's not, he's not going to come to us with a, a 10 point bullet list of these are truths that you need to know, just, you know memorize these yeah. and you'll be set for life no he yeah. loves the relationship otherwise if we had the 10 point list to do list we wouldn't need him and and, and in the same way that joshua was going from city to city from land to land and taking over a, a land that was saying this is yours i want you to do it just listen to me yeah. and you'll do it it's, it's not by your hard work it's not mm -hmm. by you know uh, it's by you obeying my instructions, and I love revealing myself to you. So we become more dependent mm -hmm. upon that. And uh, mm -hmm. certainly in the early churches, the disciples were saying, "Lord, what do you want me to do? Where should I go? What city? You know, do you want me to stay here? Do you want um, not being afraid of prison, not being afraid of dying, but going along the land, through the land, and being loved by many, uh, and being hated by many." And still not be responding to that, but having our eyes on Christ to know that we're not being swayed by whether we're going here because people love us, or we're going away from here because people hate us. But these are, this is really a highway, and I believe there's going to be a there's we're there's a highway to heaven, and I <laughs> I pray that it, it it turned from you know a two lane to a you know, to a 10 lead, to a 17, you know, and expands so that the people of God are so imparted with the presence of the Lord and that they're healed, delivered, and that God's kingdom is on the earth and it can be recognized and the wickedness in this world becomes darker and darker and darker. So I think he's, he's really requiring us to be on this 
this this this uh this journey that's going to be different than just playing church or you know uh sitting down and listen to somebody um that this is this is something new and that each one of us has a role to play uh in bringing uh the kingdom of bringing heaven to earth in a, in a beautiful way yeah I guess I'm caught up in the golden ratio. It's the face-to-face. It begins in the individual. I am before I am. And that moves out as a witness and an agreement, the threefold engagement. We move in the, the manifest. If you even make the gesture with your hand of grabbing a fistful of seed out of your left hip and you cast it, it's called a broadcast, you move in an outward spiral, and that that is the expression of a golden ratio. It's a in agreement with, and it's a relationship to, and it's an outward expansion. And I really feel like this highway is a gesture of expansion. And when Pete was talking about the fractal thing, that to me is the Fibonacci ratios. We are moving outward, but it cannot be rightly uh i use the word aligned although that's caught in the linear but it's a it's a face-to-face i'm a with you i'm walking with you and the lord has given me a, a funny task and i invite anyone to share it is take the psalms and read the first psalm and then read the second and the third and the fifth and the eighth and the thirteenth and watch how there's a progression of concepts where God sings songs consistently through, you know, 89 up to 144. And he's talking about singing. And there's a quality of the left brain, right brain. We're all caught up. You don't turn to the left or right politically or conceptually. But what uh, Stephen was talking about, the, the fact myth is the straight walk with God because it's such a dance. It has such a momentum. It's such a casting out with uh, just being yoked with the Lord. So that's my thought. Oh, man, that's beautiful. <laughs> oh, thank you. Amen. Amen. Do you have any other uh, comments we'll sign off for today? Yeah, um, thanks, everybody, for your input and your you know, just showing up, and we we love you, and um, uh, we have something. Donnie, yeah. Donnie has something he'll say. Um, As uh, Janie was describing the uh, sower reaching with his right hand to his left hip and, and spreading that seed, you know, it reminded me of the Milky Way and, and the cosmos and, and the arms of the Milky Way going mm-hmm. out in the same pattern um and then that reminded me of of my friends in south africa god has really taken her into um his heart uh, just recently over this weekend shown her some amazing things and he just and he, he just spoke to her very simply that there are galaxies of my love that you know 
I am so large. I am so uh, tremendous. I am so huge that that there's galaxies of my grace. There's galaxies of my hope. And he dwells in us. And then so how large is our heart for him to be able to dwell there? You know, I mean, we 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 just we often <laughs> finite things, but God is infinite, and and so what He says is, <laughs> His love is magnificent. It, the word magnificent doesn't even compare. <laughs> it's a trifle to how how great His love is. And he loves each and every one of us and wants to encourage us and push us forward, push us past the veil of our mm. own ability, of our mm. own of our own thinking, of our own uh demise, really. You know, until we can see as he sees, we're stuck in this plane. But we need to stick our head up above the clouds. And go where Jesus says we can go. Um, you know, when you were saying that, you know, and I, it just took me back to the snow in 2009 when I was sitting there and the word said, to me, I will awaken a galactic problem. You know, <laughs> you know, their sons and daughters born, born out of the heaven, you know, that has a, has a, as that uh, Fibonacci sequence, even in the Milky Way, installed on the human heart, you know, and I started drawing out all these diagrams and stuff. I was like, what in the world is this, you know? But, um, well, we love all of you. Yeah. I guess I can say it. Me and Tom and Janie were worshiping uh, the other night, and the Lord gave me a word for uh, Carol, and it's a beautiful word, and and the Lord, the Lord spoke. I was just going to get to him privately, but I feel like everybody can hear it. But the Lord said that him and his family, he called them astronauts. A classronaut? <laughs> <laughs> and Carol says classronaut, but the Lord said astronauts. So yeah. they literally are astronauts. And God said that it's it's one thing for an astronaut to be able to uh, walk in space with a spacesuit. But him and his family, they're learning how to walk in space without one. <laughs> and that if God says you can breathe in zero gravity, you can breathe. Oh, now. <laughs> That's good, man. Yeah. You don't need a glorified body, right? <laughs> Thank you, Donnie. <laughs> I'm going to sign off, everybody. I love you. And um, if you have any comments or feedback, send them in, you know, text them in and things like that. And pray you have a, a wonderful rest of your day. Okay. Goodbye.